0: Take care of my funeral. If you're visiting with us, I promise you, um, we're not doing this to be somber. We're working through a series called Get Your House in Order. And we're trying to encourage one another to set our affairs in order while we are alive so that if and when the Lord calls us home, because Jesus may come back, but if he should tarry and we die, We want our loved ones to go on well in our absence. So there are things that we can do now while we are alive to make it easier for them for when we pass. So today we're talking about taking care of my funeral. Now I'm doing something this morning that uh, I've never done in all of my 32 years of preaching. I'm going to preach a sermon about funerals. Now, I have preached sermons at funerals, but I have never preached a sermon about funerals. So this is new for me, just like it's new for you. A funeral is a public or a private ceremony that honors a recently deceased person. That's what a funeral is. It is a public... Or a private ceremony that honors a recently deceased person. In the days of biblical antiquity, they didn't have funerals as we know them today. Due to expedited decomposition, they would bury the deceased almost immediately. And then they would mourn afterwards. Sometimes up to 30 or 40 days after The person was buried. As a result, funeral customs vary from age to age and from culture to culture. Today I want to tell you three things that a funeral can bring. Three things that a funeral can bring, but before I tell you what a funeral can bring and before I talk to you about funerals, I'm going to talk to you about funeral homes. i want to talk to you about funeral homes because there is not one institution in our country that racism has not affected and infected. There's not one institution in this country that the sin of racism has not affected and infected and the institution or the business of uh, mortuary science or funeral directing, that industry has also been infected and affected by racism. In the city of Franklin, where I live, I've been there now for 25 years, Franklin is no different than most cities, especially southern cities around the country. is that when it comes to funeral homes, you will typically have a funeral home that serves black people, and you will have a funeral home that serves white people. In Franklin, on the same road, Columbia Avenue, you have a black funeral home and a white funeral home, and they are not separated by more than a mile. And you have to say, why is there segregation even with Funeral homes. Well, in order to understand why things are the way they are now, we always have to go back to look at the way things were. Because when segregation ruled this country, there were funeral directors who would not touch black corpses. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, there were doctors who would not touch black patients. So therefore, there had to be black hospitals. Just like there had to be black schools because there were white teachers who would not teach black students. And so when you have the separation, even with churches, black churches and white churches, that before when the slave used to worship with the slave master, there came a time when there was a split where the slave master tried to control the slave at the altar. And the slaves were like, you know what, we'll just go start our own church. So there's a reason for when we see separations and divisions in our country. So when you have separate parishes and separate pews and separate people, and you view certain people as property, we go to this place where there are separate funeral homes in Franklin. And not only separate funeral homes, but separate cemeteries as well. In Franklin, where I live. There is a, funeral, a cemetery for black people. There's a cemetery for white people. The cemetery for white people is called Mount Hope, at least in the community where, where when we first lived in Franklin uh, was, the, this l- large cemetery called Mount Hope, and that was on flat land. But the cemetery for black people was on a hill, and that was named after Toussaint Louverture, the slave who rebelled, uh, against the, the French who were in Haiti to win the nation's independence. And so the Black Folk Cemetery is called Toussaint Louverture Cemetery. It's on a hill, and many of the gravestones are unmarked. And for the longest time, the grass was not cut. It was just not a beautiful place at all. But right next to it was the white cemetery, and it was well kept and taken care of, But there was a man who came into our community years ago. He was a pastor, and uh, when he retired, he became like a professor and a pastor of pastors, and his name was Bill Lane. And this was uh, over 20 years ago. And when he came here and he saw the racial division, he said, you know what? Uh, As a white brother, I'm asking for you guys because a bunch of black preachers and white preachers were getting together, and he was one of our leaders uh, with the Empty Hands Fellowship is what we called ourselves back then. And he had made arrangements with his family in advance that when he died, he wanted to be buried right there on the line between the black cemetery and the white cemetery. And if you go by there today, you will see uh, a marker to him, Dr. Bill Lane, right there. Uh, But it takes us doing some intentional things to change the way things were and even the way things are. And for those who want to say, man... I don't believe it. Why do you got to bring that stuff up? I know there's Waters Funeral Home for black people and Williamson Memorial Gardens primarily now for for white people. Well, I'm a pastor that has to work with both funeral homes because I pastor both people. But there are pastors who never work with Williamson Memorial Gardens. And there are pastors who never work with uh, Waters Funeral Home. But I work with both of them. And I'm thankful for that. But there's this divide that we have here. And even in Mississippi today, when the coroner gets the body, there was a time because of segregation when the coroner would call the black funeral home to come get the black body and he would call the white funeral home to come get the white body. But the love of money is the root of all evil. And so what happened was the coroner, which was a a white led institution, would start calling or rather would only call the white funeral homes regardless of the ethnicity of the person who died in the spirit of, hey, we're all coming together in unity. So I'm going to only call the white funeral homes to come pick up the black and the brown and the white bodies. Meanwhile, the black funeral homes are going out of business. And so they're having to say, uh, this is wrong. They can't get the lion's share of all the people who've died. And you say, Pastor, come on, man, well, This is the world we live in. Because let me go, I got my barber sitting here. Black funeral homes know how to take care of black bodies and white bodies and aren't afraid to touch black bodies and white bodies. Just like my barber. My barber can cut black hair and white hair or kinky and straight. But if you walk up into some white barber shops, they'll look at me like, what are you doing here? I don't know what to do with your hair. Because as blacks, we've always had to not only know our culture, we've had to adapt to the majority culture. So I'm I'm talking about this why. Because when you fill out this book and you say what funeral home you want to pick up your body, you might want to look at and see if you're black, how many funerals have they done of black people? Because they got to know how to put the makeup on you the right way. I know, I know. Come on, Pastor. Yeah. Am I talking the truth? (laughs) So, when we talk about funerals now, we just can't get spiritual. Oh, it don't matter who come pick me up. Because some people won't pick you up even a day. And then if they do pick you up, they need to know how to handle you when they do pick you up. How to do your hair, how to do your makeup, all of that stuff. And if they're not used to working with your complexion. You're not going to look like yourself for real. But I'm glad. I don't want to just jump quickly to heaven. In Revelation, we ain't going to be in heaven. Yeah, that's true. But, but we got to sometimes stay in the tension of these moments in order to confront them and thereby correct them. And say that we got to learn how to do both bodies. We got to learn how to make up both faces and cultures. We got to know how to cut everybody's hair. And not just stay with what we know and what we do because we don't have to do other folks stuff. So as I'm preaching today on funerals, I'm here to say that a funeral can bring three things. A funeral can bring closure. A funeral can bring togetherness. And a funeral can bring hope. But I had to say those things before I jump in this. um, Because this is the tension of the world we live in. Yes, we are people who... Our citizenship is above. Yes, we are people who are going to heaven, but how do we navigate through earth when the church, Christian people, are the primary ones who put these segregation practices in place in the first place? Christians divided churches, and Christians divided funeral homes. And if we go in certain places around the country, we will see it. There's division, even when folk die. When I first got to Franklin, I saw the separate cemeteries. I'm like, what are they thinking? we could just going to jump out of one coffin into another coffin? What are what, 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 what they scared of? We're dead. <laughs> That's why people don't want to worship together. We don't want to touch you. You don't want to touch me. Ah. Help us, Jesus. A funeral can bring closure. The old preacher says that funerals are not for the dead for the living. You hear that? A funeral is not for the dead. They've they already gone on either to be with the Lord or they have opened their eyes in hell. So the funeral is not for the, for the dead, it's for the living. Funerals allow us to move on after death, the death of our loved one. They are the closing of one season and the beginning of another season. So funerals bring closure. A person that we love has gone on. Or a person that we know they've gone on we may not know them very well and so it's the closing of one season and the beginning of another season without that person a funeral allows the living to reflect on the positive aspects of the departed's life the obituary educates people and fills in the gaps There are times I go to a funeral and I may not know the person really well, but as I read the obituary, I see where they went to school, I see when they got married, I see how many children they have, I see some of their passions and hobbies. I'm like, wow. So it helps connect the dots. If the obituary does that, the eulogy brings it all home. Eulogy comes from the Greek word uh, blessing. So a eulogy is a word of blessing. So a person who gets up to give a eulogy is going to speak words of blessing about the one who is deceased. They're going to say good things, kind things about that person. And so Proverbs 25 verse 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. You want the eulogist to speak words that are fitly spoken. You want the eulogist to get up and speak about the departed in such a way where it's shown that either he has a relationship with the departed or the speaker knows someone who is related to the departed. There's a connection and the the, the eulogist is able to bring even some humor, uh, some truth, some things about the departed so that people can leave out feeling good about what they just heard about the departed. And so that's why you want to live your life well, because the life you live really preaches your own funeral, which is why you don't want the eulogists up here making stuff up on your behalf to make you look better than what you were. And everybody, like, that eulogist lying. They know Leroy wasn't like that. <laughs> Fitly spoken words are like apples of gold and settings of silver. And United States Representative Elijah Cummings passed away on October 17th, 2019. He was the first African-American lawmaker in the nation's history to be afforded the honor of laying in state at the Capitol. I never knew that. This is the first man of color uh, lawmaker to lie in state at the nation's Capitol. Wow, we're still having firsts in 2019? Wow. Former President Barack Obama gave Representative Cummings eulogy. And to me, his words were fitly spoken like apples of gold in settings of silver. And this is one of the things that President Obama said. He said, and I quote, being a strong man includes being kind. There's nothing weak about kindness and compassion. There's nothing weak about looking out for others. There's nothing weak about being honorable. You are not a sucker to have integrity and to treat others with respect. I was sitting here, and I was just noticing the Honorable Elijah E. Cummings. This is a title that we confer on all kinds of people who get elected to public office. We're supposed to introduce them as honorable. But Elijah Cummings was honorable before he was elected to office. And if I'm the family, and I'm sitting there, and I hear these kind of words... It encourages my heart. It was a word of blessing. And then when his widow got up and spoke, she took it to a whole nother level. Amazing. A funeral allows us to accept the will of God that our loved one has passed. It is a formal and final way of saying goodbye. So it brings closure. But secondly, a funeral can bring togetherness. A funeral can bring, listen to this, estranged family members and friends back together. Because sometimes it's only at a funeral that we see some of our family and our friends. And sometimes it's only at a funeral that we see family and friends that we've had a fight with and we've been carrying this discord for months or even years. And I'm here to say that Sometimes a funeral can be good to bring a family back together because it brings people close, face to face with their mortality to say we need to get this thing right because death is final and we don't need to take this stuff to the grave we need to let bygones be bygones and maybe the funeral service as people are looking face to face with death and their mortality can say let's squash this beef And let's get it right. But I've also seen it happen where even when there is dissension between family, the funeral doesn't bring them together. It makes the divide even greater because don't start fighting over the estate. And that's why, again, let's make it clear about our estate so that our family doesn't have to fight over who gets this or who gets that. Or he was the favorite and she was the the black sheep and this and that and the other. Oh, Lord. Well, what does the Bible say? It addresses everything. Look at Genesis 25. I'll begin reading at verse 7. And the Bible says, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. And so when I looked at that, I was like, wow, you have two sons who show up to bury their father. They have different mothers but they have the same father. They have different destinies, but they have the same father. And when Isaac and Ishmael show up to pay their respects and bury their father, they had to deal with the tension that was between the two of them. In case you don't know, Isaac is the one through whom would come Jacob, the 12 tribes, and Israel. From Ishmael would come the Arab people, and the religion of the Arab people would be Islam. And so even in the book of Genesis, you would have Ishmael and Isaac contending for the blessing from Abraham. Ishmael was the oldest child, 13 to 14 years older than Isaac, but he was the child of the handmaiden Hagar. And so Ishmael wanted to live under the blessing of Abraham, but God made it clear that it's in Isaac that your seed will be called. And so even in the book of Genesis, you see Ishmael scoffing at Isaac, so much so that Sarah told Hagar and Ishmael to leave the house because there was tension between the two sons, and there is tension between the two sons today. Between the descendants of Isaac and the descendants of Ishmael. I love how God said to Abraham, because Abraham was concerned about Ishmael. And God says, I've heard your prayer. I'm going to make him a great nation. Several princes are going to come out of him. But Isaac is the one through whom the seed is called. And the Messiah would come to save families from all over the earth. But on this day, they had to put everything aside. And work together to bury their father. This doesn't just end with them because the Bible lets us know that when Isaac had died, his two sons, Jacob and Esau, were estranged and they too had to work together for their father's burial. Just didn't stop there because Joseph and his brothers were also at odds, but they had to come together to bury their father, Jacob. So you see this trend And you've got people in your family, I've got people in my family, you've got friends, I've got friends that the next time we see them will probably be at either a wedding or a funeral. I hope that we speak and I hope that we can reconcile our differences because life is too short to die over something petty. Let's do more than just show up. Let's reconcile. And if at all possible, Don't let the funeral director plan your next family reunion. Get together now. We all need that word. But finally, a funeral can bring hope. Not only does it bring closure and bring togetherness, a funeral can bring hope. I'm talking about the God who makes a lily grow in the valley. He can get something positive out of something that's hard. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I was at a funeral not long ago, and the preacher was telling people not to mourn, as if mourning was not spiritual, because they were having a celebration of life. Again, that's a culture, a tradition, a custom. Many times in the black church and black community, we don't want to call it funeral because it's too somber. Let's call it celebration of life. And we think if we change the title, it's going to change how people act. But people come up in there, and they're grieving. But a preacher gets up and says, don't you grieve? Jesus has risen. That's true. But again, Jesus isn't saying be so spiritual that you can't be real where you live right now. Blessed are those who mourn. We mourn. Paul says, but when we mourn in 1 Thessalonians, we don't mourn like the world. We mourn and grieve with hope because we know that what we see is not all there is. Death does not win. So blessed are those who mourn. And for some of us, just because the funeral brings some level of closure, that doesn't mean we don't walk in mourning after the funeral. Everybody grieves differently. So if you've gotten over it and you've moved on, don't chastise people who have not. Because it's a process. It's different. After two of his friends had children die last week, a tearful Kirk Franklin said, I don't have all the answers. What I don't know does not cancel out what I do know. Two of his friends Lost children, had children die. And death is already unnatural. At least children should bury their parents. But when parents have to bury their children, there's no quick fix. There's no cliche. There's no Bible verse that will fix that agony and that pain. You just got to stand with people and pray with people and hold their hand. And I love what Kirk Franklin said with tears streaming down his face. What I don't know does not cancel out what I do know. I don't know why God did this. I don't know why God allowed this. I don't know. His ways are higher than my ways. But what I do know is that God is faithful and God is able. What is it that you know? Man, sometimes you just got to go to the Bible and ask "Uh, folks. Job. what is it that you know? Job chapter 19, verse 25, Job says, for I know. Job, what do you know? Remember now, he didn't know why he was suffering the way he was suffering. Like, this is unreal. This is unusual. I've lost all of my children. I've lost my wealth. I've lost my health. He says, I don't know. I don't understand. But one thing I do know is that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. So he said, my skin is going to be destroyed, but in my flesh I'm going to see God. So he's already speaking about a resurrection of his body. He says, uh, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me to see God. Because he knows that his Redeemer lives. So when there's an unexpected death, a violent death, a death of one of your children, and it doesn't make sense, and you don't know why, I hope that what you don't know does not cancel out what you do know. And I'm the grandson of a Baptist preacher, so let me, if you will, just for a moment, just try to... Do what my grandfather would do at funerals. When there would be a death like this. And he would have to get up and encourage the people about what we do know. He would say, I know my Redeemer lives. I know Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And the church sometimes would talk back. It's okay to talk back. I know Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. I I know jesus took the sting out of death i I know jesus robbed the grave of his victory i know since jesus got up my loved one will get up i know since jesus got up i'll get up i know since jesus got up we'll get up that's the hope that's the hope and i don't know why god ordained my father to die on may 21st 2000 at the age of 59 I don't know why God ordained that, but, but, but I know my father is in the presence of the Lord right now. I, I know that my father is worshiping at the feet of Jesus right now. I know my father has a new body Right now, I know my father is walking streets of gold. Right now, I know my father is enjoying fellowship with the other saints of God. Right now, I know my father has his own mansion in glory. Right now, I know my father has had every tear wiped out of his eyes. I know that my father will never know the sting of sickness and death again. I know this to be true. And this holds me when I don't know what's going on. And I know I'm going to see my father again. That's the hope, man. Because if Christ has not been raised, we are all the men most miserable. If he didn't get up, we ain't getting up. But since he got up, death could not hold him down. So at a funeral, we mourn, but we mourn with hope. Ah, What I don't know does not cancel out what I do know. You see, there are five basic stages of grief. There's shock, denial, anger, depression, and ultimately resolution, where the person accepts it. But for a believer, I'm going to add six, and that is hope. We've gone through the shock, the denial. We're human. We're saved, but we're human. We've gone through the anger, the depression, the resolution, but also the hope. And the Bible says that hope does not disappoint. The Bible says that hope is the anchor of the soul. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is a positive expectation of the future that everything's going to work out all right because God is all right and God is good. And this too shall pass. So at a funeral, we should get some hope. We don't leave it with death. We confront it. We deal with it. But we close with the resurrection. We close with hope. A resurrected savior. Now, don't do what I did last week. Don't do what I did last week. I, I went to the Titans game last week. <sighs> Me and the Titans, we, we got a thing going on right now. I'm not really fully committed, but but I got these free tickets. And I said, all right, I'll go. Me and my daughter went. And the Titans are doing their thing. You haven't had been to a Titans game unless you've had at least one or two heart attacks. <laughs> so the Titans are up by three points. And there's like a fourth and in inches, like right at midfield, not much time on the clock. And they they go for it. Don't get it. And I said, Oh my goodness. Philip Rivers has too much time on the clock. And I know they're gonna play to prevent defense and to prevent just prevents you from winning. I know they're gonna do it. And I watched a couple of plays. Philip Rivers went down there, pop, 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 here we go. They're about to get, they're gonna get close enough to not only get a field goal, they're gonna tie it, they're gonna get close enough, they're gonna win this thing. So I got up with my daughter. I said, I can't stand to watch this. Because I know what's going to happen. And we walked out and we had good seats too, and we walked out I don't know why I said that, but I just need to say it we walked out to beat the traffic. And while we're walking to where our car was parked, that I paid 30 dollars for parking. I don't know why I said that too, that still hurts. <laughs> and while we're walking across the bridge, the stadium is roaring. And I look back to the Jumbotrons, and I'm like, something is going on. I wonder what's happening, but I couldn't see because I left the stadium. <laughs> and then I'm saying to myself, I know they didn't turn this around because defeat was inevitable. I know they didn't turn this around. Then, after a while, we took a few more steps, and then the explosions happen. The, 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 whenever the Titans do something, win or score a touchdown, the boom, boom, boom. So I'm hearing all the explosions, and I'm like, what's going on there? So I grab my phone to hit ESPN, and I look at ESPN, and I see that the Titans won the game when it looked like they were going to lose the game, but I left the game because I didn't have faith that they could pull it out. And when it comes to the resurrection, there are a lot of folk who left the game. They're like, ain't no way he going to beat death. Ain't no way he going to get up. And they just gave up on the Lord. But I'm here to let you know, poof, poof. He got up. He got up. You win if you're with him. He got up. (laughs) And I'm on his team. So funerals are not for the dead but for the living. Therefore, let's get our houses in order. Funerals bring closure. They can bring togetherness. And let's pray to God that they bring hope. A couple of weeks, I'm going to give you your very own copy of this for you to fill out and to work on as far as your estate planning, your obituary, all those things. We're going to make this available to you. So we're, we're preaching to that end. So um, be ready. And, and on your funeral, think about what scriptures you want read, what songs you want sang, who you want to give your eulogy, what you want to be said, In your obituary, there's so much that you can take some pressure off of your family by letting them know your wishes and intentions now. Now, you can even pick what suit or dress or clothing item you want to be buried in. That don't mean your family going to do it because they're going to be like, she never looked good in that dress. So she thought she looked good in that dress. But let's stand for prayer. Before I dismiss you, I can't preach a message like this and not invite people to Jesus. Listen to this Jesus never had a funeral, but he did have a eulogy. He had a eulogy. Someone said something kind about him. Who was it? One of the thieves on the cross. He said in Luke's gospel, he said, uh, we're suffering for stuff we've done wrong. This man hasn't done anything wrong. That was his eulogy. Jesus never did anything wrong. But he died for people like you and me who do wrong things constantly. It's called sin and it separates us from God. And I love what that thief went on. To say to Jesus, he said, uh, because he recognized that Jesus was a king, because Pilate had put the inscription over his head, king of the Jews, and he wrote it in Latin, Aramaic, and Greek, three languages as the world was passing through. They could read and see, this man is the king of the Jews. And that one thief who preached Jesus' eulogy, he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom what did Jesus say? Verily, verily, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The man was saved by grace through faith. He acknowledged Jesus' authority and he asked Jesus to remember him. That was his sinner's prayer. Lord, remember me. When you go into your kingdom and Jesus basically said, I've got you. If you've never Ask Jesus to be your king. If you've ever asked Jesus to save your soul, to save your life, to be your Lord, now's the time for you to say, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, deliver me. Jesus, help me. I cry out to you. No other help I Jesus will say to you what he said to the dying thief assuredly I say to you you'll be with me in paradise every head bowed and every eye closed If there's a void in your life there's an emptiness in your soul the Lord is not in your life you you may go to church you came today, praise God but you're empty you don't know God You're not born from above. You haven't been born again. You're still in your sin, and you feel the guilt. You feel the weight. You feel the shame. And you want to know the one who died for your sins, who died in your place, who not only died but rose again. He's a living God, a living Savior. But you must say what the one thief said. Lord, remember. The other thief did not say that. He died and went to hell. It was his choice. But while you still have a choice, because you're alive, if you've never trusted Jesus, now's the time. From your heart to the heart of God. Lord, save me. Let that be your prayer. Jesus, save me. As Christians are praying and as God is observing, if you said preacher, pastor, I asked Jesus to be my savior just now. Pastor Chris, I, I just asked the Lord to save me. If that was your prayer, can you raise your hand so I can see you? That was your prayer. That was your prayer. Pastor Chris. Raise it so I can see it. Pastor Chris, that was my prayer. I see your hand, young lady. I see your hand. thank you for how you do what you do. And I pray that for those who raise their hand that in their first act of obedience Lord they'll come and just shake my hand after service just come and shake my hand and so I can embrace them and welcome them into your kingdom. So if that was you after service just come shake my hand and say I gave my life to Jesus today. If you're looking for a church home, you want to talk about that, fill out one of our green cards, we'll get with you, and every Christian needs a church home. So Father, thank you for this day, for this time. Thank you that we can talk about death and not be consumed by it or even concerned Jesus, you spoke about death constantly because that was part of your destiny. And your death just wasn't some haphazard death. It was an intentional death, sacrifice to save us from death. And we thank you, Lord, for the finished work of Jesus. Now, Lord, as we have fun, and Lord, I pray that we would be able to love each other well. So now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can. Ask or think according to the power that's working within us. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Before you leave, I need to release all of the trunk hosts right now. So if you are a trunk host, please be dismissed now to the parking lot so they can prepare. Trunk hosts. These are the candy people. Also, everyone else that's attending Trumpet Tree should make your way to the fellowship hall and wait for the word to be released. All right? So everybody else that's participating, let's go down to the fellowship hall. And let's do it orderly, all right? You are dismissed. No one trampled.